it scares me. It scares me. It scares me to want to preach something so bad. It scares me to have music that good. Just, oh my goodness gracious. What does the Lord want to do? Listen to me. We'll go as fast as we can. Tune your ears up. If you listen slow, you need to crank it up a little bit because we're going to rock and roll this morning. I, as part of my job, what I do is bury people. It's what pastors do. We do funerals. Most of the times we do funerals of older folks. They've lived long, hopefully happily, happy, full lives. Every now and then we do the funeral of somebody that's younger. I did a baby once. I prefer not to have to do those. Those are, those are really tough. I've done a number of teenagers, mostly car accidents. But one I want to talk to about this morning was a suicide. This young man uh, got the call about 4 o'clock in the morning, went over to the family's house, law enforcement, sheriff's department all over the place. The coroner was there. The coroner was a friend of mine. I went, to, uh, went into the house. He talked to, for, talked to me for a minute, told me what had happened, asked me if I wanted to see the body, and I told him, no, I didn't. That I wanted to remember that young man the way I remembered that young man. I didn't want to remember him in the way he looked right that minute. The 18-year-old boy had a very interesting family, to say the least. He, had, uh, he lived with his mom and his stepmom. I don't know about mom. I, I've never heard anything about mom. Don't know anything about him. He had a teenage uh, sister, and he had an adolescent sister. And the family had issues. Uh, they were a pretty interesting family. He had a girlfriend. She was beautiful. She was very high maintenance. And he dabbled in drugs. Yeah, what'd you expect, right? He was trying to get his life back on track. He got involved in our youth group again. He had a good relationship with our youth minister. But he went over to his girlfriend's house, and, and she sort of messed in his head just a little bit about another guy. And so he left the house, and he took a couple of pills on the way home to make himself feel a little better. He walked into his bedroom. He took out his deer rifle. He took a .30-06, put it under his chin. He pulled the trigger. His teenage sister heard the gunshot. And for the rest of her life, that's the last memory she's going to have of her brother, is running in that room, seeing his body, and screaming at the top of her lungs. Parenting is not easy, folks. Parenting's a tough game. And I'm not blaming the parents for that suicide. He made the decision. He got involved in drugs. He pulled the trigger. Ultimately, it was his responsibility. But lots of things went into getting life to the point that it was at. Parenting. Parenting is a very high-stakes game. What we do with our children affects not only our children, but our children's children and our children's children's children. You're not just telling your child no. You're telling every child that comes after that child no. You're teaching them something. It is very important what we do with our kids. Now, I may be very simplistic here, and you might think that that Randy's lost his mind, but I want you to follow my argument all the way to the end, if you would, because I believe that the problem with the United States right now, the moral crisis that we have in our country, is a direct result of parenting. I believe it's parenting. Now, I've got history lesson time. Stick with me. 1969, California. 1969, California. Governor... Ronald Reagan signed into law a bill that he would later be asked, what was your greatest mistake 
in your entire career. And he said it was signing that bill, turning it into law. Anybody know what that law was? No-fault divorce. No-fault divorce. Now listen, I'm not beating up on divorced people this morning. I'm making a case about something. Not saying the world comes to an end because you got to... No, that's not where we're going. I just want you to listen to what I'm talking about. What we did with no-fault divorce, it started in California, worked its way all the way across the country. The last state to ratify it or to make it a law in their state was New York, unbelievably, but now it's the law of the land. And what once, once had been considered sacred territory, the marriage of a man and a woman making a covenant before Almighty God, now had turned into something that the state regulated. Think about a marriage, folks. Think about a marriage. Now, brides, I know you think it's all about you. All of those people that you invite, and the room's full of those people, and you know that they're all there to see you. I have never seen an ugly bride, ever. Every bride is gorgeous. They're radiant. They're wearing the best outfit that they've probably worn in their life or will ever wear because some of them cost enough to buy a small house. Wearing this stuff, and everybody's eyes out there is focused on her, and that's what we've got in our heads. But what, what really is the organization here is everybody is out there as witnesses. That's what their job is, not to see how pretty she is, but it's witnesses because she's standing up here with a man making a vow that at the very end of the wedding, the pastor is going to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen, what God hath joined together, let no man separate. And in 1969, what we said at that point was, listen, God, we appreciate it. You got us pretty good here, but now you're out of the picture, and now it's the state that regulates this. It's the state that's in marriage. We make the laws. We make this thing rock and roll. In 1973, we took God out of the womb. Before 1973, you remember what we talked about, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. What we said was is that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God, remember what I taught that morning? I know you do because you hang on every word I say. What we said that day is that he formed us, intricately knit us together in the womb. And in 1973, the Supreme Court said, well, God, you may do your part, but here's the deal. We'll decide. If that baby lives or dies, it's not your job anymore. In 1962 and 1963, we took prayer out of the public schools. We took Bible reading out of the public schools. We can talk about that forever. But what we did in that moment was, is we started a pathway for our children where they didn't have anybody to look up to anymore. There is no authority bigger than them. There is nobody for them to answer to. We decide what the rules are. There is not a creator God or somebody that's over here. We took God out of that arena as well. We took God out of society. So do you see how, do you see how society has evolved? First generation, no-fault divorce. Now, used to, if you were going to get a divorce before no-fault divorce, somebody had to do something really bad. I mean, really bad. And that's why Ronald Reagan signed it into law, because they say... Because Jane Wyman, was that the woman that he was married to? 
she wanted divorce him real bad. And so she started saying how abusive and horrible he was in order to get the judge to say, you're right, he's a horrible human being. Y'all don't need to be divorced anymore. And it was so traumatic for him when it was no fault. He said, that's a good idea. I didn't have to put up with that. She just said she wanted to go, and yeah, bye-bye, baby. We started with that. Now the next generation comes along. And what does the next generation do? Next generation thinks this. Okay, we've taken God out of the equation. So the next generation thinks, listen, chances are I'm going to get a divorce anyway. Why even get married? Right? Am I wrong? Tell me if you've not heard this. I'll come and help you. So they're saying, we don't have to get married. Last year, last year, stick with me, 40.7% of all childbirths happen to single mothers. Half, almost half of the babies born last year do not have a daddy in the house. Hmm. I think that could end up being a problem, but we can't stop there. Watch the trend now. And as I read through this, I mean, it became crystal clear to me. I don't know why I hadn't seen this before. Now we're three generations removed. Marriage is a legal entity. It is controlled by the state. It is dissolved by the state. You go to the courts to handle everything in a marriage. It has to fall under the Constitution, and the Constitution says everybody has equal protection under the law. So a man marries a man, a woman marries a woman, transgender marries a transgender, a man marries a woman. It makes no difference because it is controlled by the law. It is not God's anymore. We took God out of that. It makes perfect sense to me. So in the last 50 years, three generations, we've moved from the sacred institution of man, uh, sacred institution of marriage, to where we are now. How on earth did that happen? And what good has come out of that? Why did it happen? Remember what you read a few minutes ago from Exodus 20? That commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. <coughs> Excuse me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear what God said to his people? He said, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity. What is iniquity? Sin. Right. Visiting the sins of who? Fathers. Fathers. Gentlemen, the sermon's for you. It applies to women. It applies to children. There are all principles in here that we can all live by. Gentlemen, this applies to to you. I want to preach that's not fair. Y'all know what I say to that, right? You know? I said to my kids so much, they never say it anymore. You want a fair? Wait till October. Drive south on I-75. You'll find a place where people ride rides, eat cotton candy, and every now and then a cow will get a blue ribbon. 
That is the only fair we get. God determines fair. And God says in his words that he is a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Three generations ago, we took the sacred out of marriage. We took the sacred out of the womb. We took the sacred out of school. We have more children in prison now than we ever have had. We have our children, more children living in poverty. More of our children are being taught how to be a man by a woman. Gentlemen, let me help you understand something if you didn't know it already. Their plumbing is different and their insides are different. They were not created to teach a boy how to be a man. Now, there's some women that have to do it. They have no choice because the man decided he didn't want to do his job. And they do their best, and some of them do a really good job. But, gentlemen, it is our responsibility to teach a boy how to be a man. You've got the right plumbing. You've got the right guts. It is your job. Do not turn your back on that. We have our children on drugs, legal drugs, because you got a little six-year-old boy that they all got ants in their pants, every last one of them. we got to calm them down. And then we've got them on the illegal drugs because they just can't handle the stress of the world that we've thrown at them. Do you honestly believe, Randy? Do you honestly believe you're sounding like a wingnut? Do you honestly believe that the ills of American society are the direct consequences of the fathers of this land not loving God. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Here's what I know. In the book, No Man Left Behind, we're studying it on Tuesday nights. There's a group of us that get together every other Tuesday night because we're trying to put together a men's ministry that touches every man in the church. So we've devoted ourselves to study this book. And in the book, No Man Left Behind, it says this. It says to get the country right, to get society right, get the church right. To get the church right, you have to get the families right. To get the families right, you've got to get marriages right. And to get marriages right, you've got to get the men right. Fathers, that's you. Now don't feel guilt here. Feel hope in this thing because God not only tells you this is the bad end of everything. He says, this is how to get to the good end. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's tie all of this now to the New Testament. We've been playing in the Old Testament. We're playing in law. Let's get over to grace now. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the law. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll see God saying, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then you'll hear him say, teach this to your children. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you eat breakfast, when you eat lunch, when you walk down the street, when you go to the deer stand, when you sit with him on the side of the road, when you sit with him fishing somewhere, teach him about me all the time. That's what this is saying. Now, there are three two-word sentences that will get us out of this mess. Three two-word sentences, six words total. We're not going to spend our time talking about spanking kids. Some of you are going to disagree. I spank mine. Some of you don't. Whatever. Spending quality time, getting in touch with our feminine sides. Gentlemen, we have gotten in touch with our feminine sides. Till I'm a, I'm a, un, I shouldn't say this. It surprises me we don't wear lace on our underwear. Let's get a, let's, come on, guys, man up. 
I shouldn't have said that, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a deacon's meeting at five today if y'all want to take care of this. <laughs> I'm not talking about taking our daughters out on dates. Now, I'm going to say this about that right quick, and then I'm going to jump away from it, and I'm going to make some of you mad with this, but that's okay, too. The gods of this country are entertainment and sex. I'll argue with you if you want to argue about anything else, but that's it, entertainment and sex. Falling under the entertainment rubric is sports. Let me help you understand something. Not every child was born to hold a ball in his hand, but we think they do. And so we're going to put them on the ball field and we play the ball, and ball has become our God. How do you say that, Randy? Because I watch all of us choose to be at the field instead of choosing to be at church. Now, I understand you've got some kids, you've got some kids that are destined to be great ball players. And they do, you do what you do to get them there, and you make sure that they understand God and they learn God. Like, who is it, Tony Dungy, the coach, you know, that's the, I probably pronounced his name wrong, the coach that does, uh, that's a godly man, Tim Tebow, you know, love him, hate him. The man loves his faith, he loves his Jesus, and he can play a pretty good game of football every now and then. You've got some of those. Most people, though, and you go, Randy, it teaches them. It teaches them sportsmanship and how to get along with other people. Y'all know better than that. Who is this? Cam Newton. Is that teamwork? I'm Superman. No, we're not. How many, how many football players before the season started last year? Let's start at home. University of Georgia. Before the season started, how many of them went to jail? Four. Before they started the season. Now we go, oh, that's the University of Georgia. They must be bad. No, go all the way across the country, and you can find all the way across the country these guys that played community ball, that learned sportsmanship and how to get along with each other. Yeah, they get along with the other inmates. And in case you've been living in a closet somewhere, there was an NFL guy that we all look up to that cold-cocked his girlfriend in an elevator. He punched her so hard. If my daddy had ever seen me hit a girl, there'd be somebody else preaching to you this morning. Daddy would have taken me out of this life. And he turned back and punched her like he would have punched somebody that was attacking him. She went out like, boom, down she went. These are people we're looking up to. That's what we want to turn our children into. Get a grip, boys and girls. That's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm not saying don't get them to play. What I'm telling you is before you decide what's best for your child, figure out what God would have your child to be. And then do what you need to do. But you think about it. Just because everybody else is a little kid, like Ted uh, Lowe talked about Wednesday, he found himself with his six-year-old on a basketball team. And he said it suddenly dawned on him, six-year-old playing basketball, just doesn't make sense. <coughs> Come on, really? Now that's the only mechanical thing we're going to talk about. We're going to move on, but I'm talking about that one because it's a big deal. So let's talk about the rest of the things. Six words that we're going to talk about. Words number one, sentence number one. Love Jesus. Sentence number two. Live Jesus. Sentence number three. Teach Jesus. That's it. Sorry it's not harder. Wish I could give you more. 
you want more, you can go out and buy one of those millions of books that are out there that people have advice in it. But I can tell you their advice is the same as my advice, and they're all opinions, and opinions are like heinies. We all have one. Some of their advice is pretty good, but in the long run, if you don't get this part right, it will all turn to mess. It will all do that. But God is eternal, and God designed us, and God knows the system. He knows how it's supposed to operate. If we do it his way, it will turn out right. So that's what we want to do. We want to love God, love Jesus, live Jesus, and teach Jesus. Let's look at Colossians 3 right quick. If you've got your Bible, turn to Colossians. We're going to live in that for the rest of the time that we're together this morning. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to talk about this. We're not doing bad. This might turn out pretty good. If I don't get voted out at the deacons meeting. Colossians chapter 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been born again, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Gentlemen, to be a successful father, you must be born again. Now, I know I can hear your eyes rolling back in your head because every preacher that's ever preached to you has said that. You must be born again. You must be born again. That's not where we're going with this. I'm calling you not to say that I believe that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected I don't want, I'm not even interested in you saying that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not interested in any of that. I am asking you, have you been changed? Have you been changed? When you said, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, if that was indeed what occurred in your life, you will be changed by Him. You will understand that you are a new creation. You will understand that you are simply a resident of Jones County, Georgia. But like I've said a hundred times over the last four weeks, your citizenship is in heaven. Your allegiance is in heaven. You just happen to still live here. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, that's a historical fact. I mean, that, that's a historical fact. People saw him die. They made records of it. People saw him alive after he was resurrected, at least 120 people, maybe more. That's a historical fact. When you say that I believe Jesus died and was resurrected, good for you. There's a lot of people that have said that, that when they die, they're going to stand before God one day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, who are you? Well, I said that you were died and resurrected. He says, the devil says that. Were you changed? What makes us different, gentlemen? is the fact that we understand that when he was crucified, I was crucified. That ugly nature of mine, the one that wants to see women without their clothes on, the one that wants to have drinks with the boys, the one that wants to put everything possible in front of the church, the one that wants to sleep in on Sunday mornings, the one that wants to cuss everybody out all the time, the one that is irritated 90% of the time and takes it out on everybody, that nature, gentlemen, when you are born again, 
is nailed to a cross, it is murdered, it dies, it is destroyed for all eternity in the eyes of Almighty God himself. When he looks at you, he doesn't see it anymore. It is gone. That man, that nature is gone. We are resurrected to a new life viewed by God not as the losers that we feel we are half the time. We are viewed by God as world changing. We are, listen to what these words say. We are viewed by God Almighty Himself as people who are pure, people who are holy, people who are children of the Almighty God. He has us in a position where He can make us into the fathers or into the people that He wants us to be. Yet, even as though, even though we were changed by Jesus, <clears throat> That ugly nature of ours, we still are residents in Jones County. That ugly nature of ours still lives in Jones County, and it tugs on us, and it pulls on us, and every now and then it pulls us back down a little bit, and we realize what's happened, and we turn and ask forgiveness. But, you know, I think, and this is Randy's opinion, I could be wrong, but I know I'm not. You, when you look at that and you ask for forgiveness, I think we're doing that for ourselves. Because, see... He knows every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit because he's God. And you didn't surprise him. You didn't surprise him at all. He's already forgiven the sins that you haven't done yet. And he still sees you as pure, holy, world-changing men. We have a choice. Once we're born again, we are given a choice. The Holy Spirit helps us, but we're given a choice. We can choose to do the old things. We can choose to do the new things. And in Colossians, it tells us to seek the things that are above. The word seek here means a dirty word in our society, in the church. It's a dirty word in the church. It's not a dirty word in society. But we've made it to a dirty word in church. It's the word ambition. You know, we think when you get in the church, you're not supposed to have ambition anymore. We're just all supposed to be communists. Really. You know, we give everything to everybody, make sure everybody lives the same way. That is communism, guys. I mean, that's, that's it. You know, you're making sure everybody's got all the same, nobody's above anybody. That's, you know. Jesus says have ambition. But the ambition that he says to have here is the ambition to know him. I had ambition. I was going to be, <laughs> Renee will laugh real loud. I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. What I'm hoping now is that when I retire, I'll have enough money to make it until I croak and maybe I can get buried off of some of it. Ambitions change. He's saying, here's your ambition, gentlemen. Your ambition is to see Jesus. Your ambition is to be like Jesus. Your ambition is not to live the old way. My ambition is to live the new way. Now, I want to be a good father. I want to be a good father. I want to love Jesus. I want to be a good father. What do I do? I've talked about this until you're probably ready to scream. I'm telling you to read your scriptures every day, read a devotion every day, and let your children see you do it. Don't just read it. The Bible says, Randy, go into a closet. Well, find yourself a closet. Go into it, pray and get close to God, and come out and help your children to get close to God. You want your children to know you want your children to know that their daddy admires Jesus. That their daddy thinks that Jesus is the man. That their daddy thinks that Jesus is not some wussy little guy 
They want to let their let the children know that their daddy wants to grow up and be like Jesus because Jesus did something big in daddy's life and I want to be just like him. Now let me help you understand something. I know I'm being a little bit on the edge of plain speaking here. Let me help you understand something, gentlemen. We abdicated our responsibility a long time ago. Look around yourself. You'll see more women than men in here. When you see things that get run in the church, there's more women than men that run things in the church. We have let women, not because they were mean and horrible and did something bad, but women are women. They are different than you. They have different guts than you. And so we sing songs about beautiful, beautiful Jesus. I think I've said beautiful about maybe two men in my life. I don't walk around and talk about beautiful men. Heavens to Betsy. Y'all would think something's really wrong with me and probably might be. We don't talk about that. We had a song we sang once that just I almost went through the back wall because it talked about loving Jesus and doing something like a wet, sloppy kiss. Let me tell you something. I have never kissed a man a wet, sloppy kiss ever in my entire existence. We don't do that. I'm sorry. Yet we look at Jesus like he's this guy and he just sits down. If I can get down here. Let's just let all the children come to me. Ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. And we think a good Christian walks around all the time and goes, praise Jesus, hallelujah. That's so sweet. It's wonderful. Let me tell you something about Jesus. I've said this before. It'll catch on one of these days. Jesus went into the temple. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus went into the temple. What was going on in the temple? They were buying and selling things. Now, let's, let's draw this out real good. We're being pretty crass this morning, so let's just keep going with it, shall we? We've got animals that are being sold. Animals that are being sold in the area that women and Gentiles are supposed to be in. And there's, there's animals being sold. What do animals do? They poop. In church. That's what's going on. Where people are supposed to be worshiping. Where people are supposed to be able to meet God and be where God is. And they've got animals in here and they're not taking them out every 15 minutes to have a potty break outside. Jesus comes in. He sees what's going on. He has righteous indignation. Put it in our language, he was ticked off. He took, a, he took cords and made it to a whip. And he ran through that room and he ran those people that were selling the money changers out of that room and he flipped their tables over. Now let me tell you this about that. If he was a little bitty short guy and he was all hallelujah all the time and he had no arms and no muscles and he comes running at me with a whip, I would look at him, I know what it's going to sound like, I would look at him and I'd say bring it on brother. Let's see which one of you. I've been working out. I've got a tricep. I'll take you on. Did anybody take Jesus on? Now we can say it was because of his authority as the Lord and Savior that that happened. I think it was his authority as the fact that he was a carpenter's son and he had worked like a dog a good portion of his life and he had shoulders on him and he was a man at least my size, maybe a little bit bigger. And when he walked into that room with a whip of cords in his hand, those guys looked at him and said, if I don't get out of the way, he is going to beat my rear end. I am going to move. Gentlemen, that's Jesus. He is not a soft... Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, he is kind. Yes, he is all those things. He was, is a man's man. 
That's the Lord that changed my life. I don't have to say, beautiful, beautiful Jesus. I can look at him and say, you are the man. You are the man. You changed my life. Gentlemen, your children, your boys need to see that Jesus has made that kind of impact on your life. They need to see that. Gentlemen, as good fathers, you must be born again. You must be changed. You must be new. You must have a different ambition than the men of the world do. And you need to be proud of that ambition. Proud that I want to be like Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be like a man that would be one against 50 and he won the fight? Man, that's a man, I'm telling you. That's a man. Next, want to love Jesus? We want to live Jesus. Live Jesus in front of your children. Now, what does that look like? Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. When you live Jesus, what will your kids see? Well, let's start with what they won't see. That's where Paul started here. They won't see you watching movies that have girls on there with no clothes. Now, I'm not talking about X. I'm talking about there's lots of girls with no clothes. Gentlemen, those women do not belong to you. They are not yours to look at. If you are married and you want to see somebody with no clothes on, you know where to go. Because that's legal. In this book, it's legal. It says so. But watching it in a movie, they do not belong to you. They're not yours to see. Your children need to see when that happens and you turn it off and say, I don't watch that because I'm in love with your mother. I don't ogle other people because I'm in love with your mother. Your life's objective might change. You might come to realize that the price you're paying for the new boat, the new car, the new iPhone 6, the new Galaxy, whatever just came out, I can't remember which one just came out, you might realize that the cost you're paying for that is too high. Please start thinking of money in terms of time. Think of money in terms of time. If you make $25 an hour and it costs $100, I'm doing math on the fly, and it costs $100, you've given them four hours of your life. You understand what I'm saying? So the iPhone 6 costs what? $600 if you buy it new without a contract? So take my math, which I am not even going to attempt to do, and figure out how many hours of your life this thing cost you. And then put it over here and put your child over here. Where's the money better spent? Where's your time better spent? Think of your money as your life. It is your time that you're giving away. Your life objective might change. Your language might tone down. You might not be a horse's patoot when you get home anymore. You might quit lying to your wife and children. I don't lie to my wife and children. Yes, you do, because I've done it to mine. Honey, I'll be home at 6, and I show up at 8.30. Well, my boss called. 
Well, couldn't you have called? Well, no, I was talking to my boss. Well, you know what? I bought one of these things. I could have texted her while I was talking. I lied to her. I lied to my children. We might quit lying to our folks. These things might happen to you, and maybe they won't happen. Maybe you're not doing any of those things, but this next little section here you are doing, or we will do. These things will take place in our life. They become a part of us. 12 through 15, put on then God's chosen as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and all, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What do your children need to see when they look at you now? When you live Jesus in front of your children, they'll see a daddy who is compassionate to them, that realizes that that little stupid thing that they think was the end of the world, that you empathize with them for a minute, and you just don't poo-poo, go away, there's a million of those things, that you'll stop and have compassion on the child, and they'll see that compassion, and they'll understand their importance in their daddy's eyes. They'll have a daddy who is kind. They'll have a daddy who doesn't always have to be the top dog in the family, who's willing to put up with a little nonsense in the world instead of blowing somebody away with his anger. Instead, he throttles back on that, realizing that if I treat them right, I may get a chance to talk to them. I may get a chance to have them come to see Jesus, and they can be like us, son. That's why I didn't blow them away. He's willing to forgive. He's willing to be forgiven. Gentlemen, there's some of you that think that you've never done anything wrong and you've never said, I'm sorry. You are deluded. You have done things wrong. And we have to be men enough to stand up and say, you know what, son? I got that one wrong, buddy. I got that one wrong. And I am sorry. And I sure hope you'll forgive me for that. We have to be willing to do that. And more importantly, gentlemen, listen to me. I know we're getting there. More importantly, they will see you truly love their mama, seeing her for the beautiful woman he married, and know that he will never leave her. And since he will never leave her, he will never leave them. And that brings peace to the family and makes them all thankful to God. Now, gentlemen, I understand that as, you, as your wives get older, sometimes, pray for me, Stan. <laughs> Stanley heard some of this yesterday. They start out with two bumps, got curves soft in the right place, good to look at. And then after they have a couple of ch children, sometimes some of those women get three. And sometimes they get four. And then you sit down, not mine. And then, <laughs> and then you go watch one of those movies and you see that young lady up there that has those two bumps that you had saw back when. That's one of the reasons you don't watch. And number two is you have to start realizing, gentlemen, that she got those bumps because of you. And that makes her beautiful because she carried those kids and she nurtured those kids. And she made sure those kids got fed. And she made sure that those kids got to school. And they knew what homework to do. Because I'm telling you right now, half of us guys don't have a clue that our kids even have homework. And yet she's working her rear end off to make sure that it happens. 
we look at her and we see the wrinkles on her face and we realize those wrinkles are trophies of the work that she's done, of the smiles that she smiled, of the pain that she has felt. And we look at her and we realize how beautiful she is in our eyes and how beautiful she is in God's eyes. The Bible says, Ted said this on Friday night, the Bible says, gentlemen, to take joy in the wife of your youth. That's what it talks about. We love them so that they, their children see that we're not going to leave mama and you're not going to leave me. And I'm happy with that. Peace in the family. Thank God. Love Jesus. Live Jesus. Teach Jesus. Gentlemen, this is hard work. This is hard work. We've left it all up to our wives to do this. Teach Jesus, gentlemen. When they come and ask you about dinosaurs, don't freak out. Let's do some homework. Let's see how we deal with that kind of issue. When they ask you, will my pet Fluffy be in heaven because it died yesterday? Talk to your child about compassion and love and caring and suffer with that child. Show them that compassion spirit of yours. Listen to their questions. Answer them honestly. Most of the youth that leave the church and don't come back ever, a lot of them say the reason they don't is because the church always gives pat answers. We won't take it when they ask something hard. Fathers, when they ask something hard, answer their questions. If you don't know it, find somebody that does. Go to church with them when you're tired, when you wish you could sleep. Read the scriptures to them. Teach them about Jesus. You'll help them to see him for themselves so that they will know what is absolutely right and absolutely wrong. And they'll also figure out when they get in those gray areas of life, which we know there are a lot of, that they'll be able to lean back and think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit will minister to their heart and they'll figure out what the right answer is in that gray area. And don't ever let me hear you say this. Because I will embarrass you when you do, and I'll lose a church member. Don't ever let me hear. I'm not forcing my kids to go to church because I want them to find their own way. Let me help you understand something. If they don't find their own way, your child will die and go to hell. Is that what you want? You don't want them to burn their hand, you don't want them to get in a car accident. You don't want them to cut their finger off. You don't want them to put their eyes out when they run with the scissors. Is that what you want? Let me tell you what I want. I want when I die and go to heaven. I want Jesus to take me and say, Randy, here's... Here's your room. And there's Renee's. And there's Anna's. And there's Ben's. And there's Luke's. They'll be here. Give them a little time. That's what I want to hear. I do not want to get to heaven and have him say, Randy, here's your room. Here's Renee, and I've got two for your kids. Because I got three. Do not say, do not live. I want my children to find their own way. That is ridiculous to say, I want my child to have a 50 50 chance or worse of going to hell.
people without Jesus die, go to hell, eternally separated from God. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. And I certainly don't wish it on my babies. A lot of mechanics to be a father. A lot of things to do. A lot of things to learn. A lot of people have a lot of advice to give you. Some of it's good and some of it deserves to swirl down the drain. Six words will cause you to be a good father. And I think these six words will cause you to be a good mother. And I think these six words will cause you to be a good teenager and to be a good child. You love Jesus. You live Jesus. You teach Jesus. Your ambition is to know Jesus as best as you can know him. Because one day, we will all meet him face to face. Father, I thank you very much for a patient congregation. I thank you for a congregation that would allow me to teach things and say things that might be a little hard and that they might not agree with. Father, I thank you for giving us a word this morning that speaks to our hearts and helps us to know how to get this society that we live in back to you. I pray, Father, that you inspire every man in this room, that you inspire every man in this room, Lord, to go home and have his new ambition to be to seek you out. And not to be super Christian, Father, but just to do little things to get started. You'll take care of the rest. Help us to take the first step. Lord, for those men that have been taking these steps on and on and on, I pray, number one, you'd call them out to us so they could be our examples. Lord, and that you bless them with godly children that one day will share your mansion in glory. Father, for the mothers in here, I pray that you bless them, that they understand that this applies to them too, but they will love their husbands in a way, Father, that would allow the husbands to do this. I pray for children that will look to their fathers and they'll have enough gumption to say to themselves, something's different with dad. And I think that's pretty cool. I pray for young people, Lord, that are going through a very difficult world. You help us protect them. Put them on the straight and narrow so that when they're making all their choices on their own, they'll know what choices to make. Help us, Father. We need it. You know we need it, dear. And in this moment, Lord, if there are those in this house that you're speaking to, that you're calling their names, that you are saving Give them this moment to trust you as their Savior and have their lives changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have our invitation. I ask you to respond as God would lead you to respond.